Hey, y'all. Welcome into Go Fight Win, the show with all the high school football stories you love. On this episode, I'll speak with Mike Golick Jr. You know him. You might know his dad, too. What you don't know is about the time his high school football teammates vandalized their coach's bumper to manufacture a little bulletin board material. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. Plus, a listener-submitted story about the time a high school football field came with a water hazard. And before all that, we'll start the show bouncing around the country, taking a look at the craziest high school football headlines I saw over the last few days. It's time for Go Fight Win. Buckle up that shin strap. This is episode two of Go Fight Win. I'm your host, Wes Blankenship. I asked y'all to send me the craziest things you saw on high school football fields this past Friday night to at Go Coffee Town on Twitter or X, and it never disappoints. Y'all keep it coming week in and week out. The first story I got was a video of Alcoa and Bearden in Tennessee, and I'm not allowed to share the video. I checked. It is owned by a local news corporation much bigger than Go Fight and Win, and I like doing this show, and I don't want them to make me take it down, so I'll include a link in the episode's description, but what happens is Bearden is driving at Alcoa, trailing 17-13, to 13, and the quarterback throws the ball out of bounds, and they're trying to come back and win the game. But what happens immediately after the ball sails out of bounds is the lights go out for eight minutes straight. Well, the Tennessean has the story here. Tom Krieger wrote it, and he spoke to Alcoa head coach Eli Owens, and here's what coach says. Honestly, I was thinking like the Super Bowl between the Ravens and 49ers. Y'all may remember the lights went out during Beyonce's show, uh, maybe a publicity stunt, maybe just the Superdome being old as hell. And coach goes on and says, but you know, it was God. It was almost like a second halftime. I think it helped both teams. I think any type of break in a game like Friday is helpful for anybody. Well, coach, it didn't help Bearden because they lost the game. And the lights go out in these high school games from time to time. I remember a game in the early 2000s state championship game. Parkview playing at Northside in Warner Robins. And Northside had some momentum. They were trailing Parkview, and the lights go out for 30 minutes. Well, the unique thing about Northside is Northside shares McConnell-Talbert Stadium with Warner Robins. And this is a fierce rivalry in the state of Georgia. One of the best. And I'd put it up there with one of the best in the country. These two fan bases hate each other. Well, the lights go out, and... You know there was a Warner Robins fan, team dad, team mom, who knew where the light switch was, knew where that circuit breaker was. Boom. Lights go out. And I'm not saying anybody did it on purpose, but that's how the legend goes. So that's what happens here. Alcoa and Bearden. Alcoa is the home team. Their home lights go out. Boom. And it's dark. And you can't tell me that it helped both teams. Bearden is over there saying, what is going on? We're on enemy turf, and the lights are out. They got to keep their heads on a swivel because there's no telling what could come out of that darkness. Well, a wind did not come out of it for them. Here's the deal, though. I'm not an electrician. I'm not an electrical expert. I've hung a couple ceiling fans in my day, 
and it just scared the crap out of me. Dealing with those live wires, did I flip the right switch on the circuit breaker? You never know. Uh, and it was it was pretty stressful. Top five argument in my marriage, no doubt about it. So I don't deal with electricity anymore, but I did see this in the video. The lights are out, the LEDs, the halogens, whatever they got up there. But they're not out in the press box, and they're not out in the school or the Dairy Queen or whatever you can see in the background there. So it wasn't a power outage in the area. Was it a you know Christmas vacation situation? Did a did an animal, cat, or squirrel get in there, start gnawing on those wires, and uh, knock the lights out? I don't know. Did uh did an Alcoa team mom team dad? see the comeback was on and just happened to stumble on that light switch i guess we'll never know that's the night that the lights went out in alcoa that's the night that they won the football game coach eli said it was an act of god now but did someone from alcoa have a light switch in their hands we'll never know the next thing y'all sent me is a video I can use from Nick King Sports in Arizona. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. Y'all give him a follow as he is gracious in allowing me to use this wonderful video. It's perfect. So Nick King says, the start of the ALA Queen Creek, it's not short for Alabama. Maybe it's a la Queen Creek. Maybe it's French. A la Queen Creek taking on Saguaro. Saguaro. The game was delayed because the horse leading the Patriots out, apparently decided midfield was a wonderful place to relieve himself. So y'all check this out. This is a big horse here, okay? I mean, this is a noble steed. This is just a beautiful image to begin with, and it's only going to get better. I mean, this thing is as close to a Clydesdale as you're going to get. So again, I'm not a horse expert either, not an equestrian guy, but I do know that wild animals or domesticated horses, they go early and they go often. So the horse does evacuate its bowels right there at midfield. You see the kid out there with the shovel. We'll get to him in a minute. My advice, if you're dealing with the live mascot and that animal has not gone by, let's say, the national anthem, you may need to have a backup plan, plan B. Maybe approach one of the team dads out there, granddads in the parking lot on his motorcycle and say, hey, Rick, uh, the horse, you know, we're still waiting on this horse to take a dump here. It hasn't gone yet. Do you think you could ride your hog out there and carry the flag for us? Because uh, this could be a disaster. Clearly, the Patriots have not gotten that down yet, or maybe... You know, this is their home field too. Maybe this is a little intimidation factor. You're going to come out on our field and it's going to be a mess. By God. So the horse does its thing and trots off to wherever it's going. You see the horse trailer back there in the background. It probably has a big Friday night ahead. Maybe heading out to a rodeo after this. There's no telling. But my question here is this kid right here. The shovel kid. Nick says... It took the young fellow with the shovel two trips to clean it all up. Well, I mean, look, dude, you're working on this turf. You're trying to scrape up 
Silver's lunch here. And you got all these rubber pellets getting in the way. All that said, I'm not making excuses for the kid. He he could have better technique here. He's taking his time. We got a game going on. The refs are back there saying, hey, come on, son. Let's go. One of the refs is on his phone making a TikTok of it probably. The other one's just laughing at him. So the pressure's on. You got 800 people watching you shovel crap. It's not easy. And is this his job? Is this his primary job? Is he on standby for horse manure every single week? Is he the tee retriever? Is he the ball boy? This is part of it. Is he going above and beyond trying to get a promotion to a clipboard carrier? I don't know. But it's just bad all the way around. So uh, be careful with the live mascots out there and make sure they're going early. Or maybe it's just all part of the plan. Maybe you want this to happen. If so, you're sick, but I respect it. Last headline that I could not pass up was our guy Rush Probst. Rush Probst, you know him. Two days, uh, he coached in Georgia for a little bit. And Rush Probst is now coaching at Pell City in Alabama. Back in his, you know, back in his Alabama roots after coaching at Hoover for all those years. Well, Pell City was taking on Moody. And Moody just didn't describe the high school football team. It described Rush Probst that night. So there was a fight in the ball game, and Rush Probst's son. John David is a wide receiver for the Pell City football team. So as the story goes, according to AL.com, Joseph Goodman is all over this. John David tries to run out there in the fight. Well, if you grew up in the South in a certain generation, then you know dad's belt is not too far away if you're acting up. Well, tonight, it wasn't Coach's belt that uh, landed upside the head of his son. And it wasn't Rush Probst's head that ended up in, in another player's helmet because you know he's done that. He's headbutted a player and bled all over the place. You know, maybe he did that for TV. Who knows? But the sideshow for Coach Probst is always going to travel. And Coach, instead of just restraining his son, throws his headset at John David's helmet and breaks the whole headset. And the reporting here says that there was a team ready to repair the headset. Rush Probst has a pit crew with him at all times. You never know what could happen. Uh, coach broke his headset. We knew that was going to happen. Let's, let's get it fixed up. They took a couple of Phillips heads to it and uh, some WD-40 and got it back together. But uh, look, this is, this is not a great headline for Rush Probst, but it's also not the worst you know his career history could be a lot worse for old coach but listen son you don't get in a fight if you do you're going to get my headset upside your head and according to coach john david still has some discipline that he will handle internally as if the <laughs> the headset in front of all his buddies wasn't enough yes son we're going to handle this at home Thanks for sending those stories in. Send them in each and every week at Go Coffee Town on Twitter, X, GoCoffeeTown.com. Got a link for you to send your stories. And we got a great one coming up about a high school football field that came with a water hazard. Oh, yeah. So the thing that is really going to make this show sing is when y'all send your stories in, and not just the stories you see in real time on Friday nights. I mean your Glory Days stories 
the stories that are just too wild to make up. Maybe they get a little better as the year goes on. You embellish them. Like those fish stories, they get bigger and bigger as you get older, right? We're going to have the Coffee Town sketches. We're going to have profiles on the wildest mascots in the country. We're going to have all the fun stuff. Don't worry. There's a lot more where that came from. But I want to hear from y'all. And Joel sent this story in, and it did not disappoint. So Joel tells me about the time Jessup High in Georgia was taking on an unknown Savannah school. It's been lost to the sands of time. And if you know anything about Savannah, it's all built on sand and marshes. So this is where the field gets a little soggy. Torrential rains turn the Savannah Memorial Stadium into a lake. One half of the 50 was completely underwater. So look at this uh, aerial view. Envision this. Looking down on the field, half the 50 uh, to the left of it, right of it is dry. The other half is underwater. Normally on a football field, you have that slope that drains down towards the sidelines to help with drainage. But this is Savannah. It's shifting grounds. It's a little softer. And uh, maybe they got the, the hump mixed up. Maybe they had it draining towards one end zone. I don't know. One way or another, this field is drenched. They still played the game, and when a team would cross the 50-yard line, they would swap in so they always played on the dry end of the field. Sportsmanlike, got to get this game over with. I appreciate that. Well, that worked fine until the game ended in a 0-0 tie. My gosh, what a masterpiece of a game this must have been. Under the overtime rules at the time, they went to penetration. And penetration means you know how far you go into something. Y'all know what penetration means. Savannah School, again, we don't know which one it was, got to about the Jessup 30. When Jessup got the ball and started their drive when they crossed the 50, they made Jessup drive into the water. That is ruthless. You're playing on a field that is just drenched, and you're now trying to play ball with the water going up to your knees. Now, this is a great competitive advantage for a couple of reasons. A, it's, you know, football was designed to be played on the land. This isn't water polo. But also, how do you know what yard they're even on? Can't even declare the, the winner there. This happened decades ago. Joel tells me this is an honest-to-God true story. I don't doubt you, man. Trust me. Several folks dang near drowned. Paul Connor was my head coach at Wayne County in 1987 and had the picture from this game on his wall. So who knows when it happened. Uh, but the thing about playing in Savannah or anywhere, you know, the Mississippi Delta, you get a lot of, a lot of rain, some soaked fields. You got to have lifeguards posted up at each 50-yard line with some flotation devices to rescue these kids. I love that story. And I did get a note from Coach Swansea at Coffee Town that with Hurricane Idea coming in, they forewent the wet ball drill and just elected to have the guys practicing in the Copper County public pool for their game. So uh, probably a smart call because you never know when the field could get drenched. Isn't that beautiful, though? Football, you look at the field, it's uniform, it's always 120 yards long, 53 yards wide. But you have other sports like baseball, every outfield could be different. You got to know where the wall is, 
Is it a pitcher's park? Is it a hitter's park? There's golf. You're battling the terrain. I like the idea of a football field that's like a steeplechase in track. Yeah, we got water. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to have to jump over this beam if you want to get to the end zone? Beautiful, beautiful story. Use the field to your advantage. All right, coming up, Mike Golick Jr. with a wealth of high school football storytelling. You won't want to miss that. Go Fight Win is right back after this. All right, our guest played college football at Notre Dame. Go Irish. He was an offensive guard, but more importantly, he was a Connecticut High School Coaches Association Class S. Mm. And on those elite tiers, I think S is the best one you can have. All-state, junior, and senior. Junior in more ways than one. Mike Golick, Jr., What's up, my man? Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you having me. It's been a while since I've gotten a CIAC reference anywhere, so this is a joy to get to get back to my roots. Absolutely, man. That's what always brings people back is the uh, whatever the abbreviation is for their state high school league, that's it. What is the S tier? Is that really like the, the biggest league, or, or what's that mean? I wish. No, we're actually probably the smallest one. So where most other you know states have like a normal classification, you know, you know, division one, however you break it down, ours was letters. So you went up, it was double L L M or you know, double M M and then S double S. So we were the second smallest tier of Connecticut high school football. I went to a 650 person co ed Catholic school in central Connecticut. So even in a state that didn't really have big time high school football, I was Connecticut's divided into two area codes, and I was in the area code that's even lesser known for high school <laughs> football. So I always said, my dad, we had to move there because he started working in Bristol at ESPN when I was in the third grade. He really kind of lobbed us a tough fastball when it came to the competitive aspect of high school athletics around us. He threw you right into the fire. So the S stands for small, I guess. Which yeah. high school did you go to? What was it called? So I went to Northwest Catholic High School. It was in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. Oddly enough, I ended up living back about 10 minutes from my high school while I worked at ESPN for the last seven years or whatever. So I got to go by there a fair amount. Did you ever like run into old teachers at the grocery store and get that weird feeling like, shoot, do I have a paper due this week? Oh, yeah. You get the flashbacks right away. I don't think there's any more jarring feeling. And there's really only something about it for high school and elementary school as seeing a teacher out and about somewhere. And I always joked, you got a pretty high chance of that in Connecticut in the summers because there's very few things to do. And one of them is go to Dave Matthews Band concerts. And so you had a pretty <laughs> high likelihood of seeing a Northwest Catholic teacher show up at Dave somewhere. Yeah. Like, don't you live at the school? I thought that's where you're supposed to be. My mom was a teacher. And uh, whenever we'd run into people at Publix, it was still weird. Like I was friends with these kids and I was like, y'all just relax, man. It's just my mom. Um, all right. What was your mascot and team colors at Northwest? So we were um, we were green, black, and white for our colors there. So we only got the black jerseys, I think, going into my junior or senior year. Those were new ones, but green and white in general. And we started off, we were the Indians when I were there. And then years ago, as people were starting to look at, you know, the names of mascots and how that, you know, fit into the larger conversation, they changed that. And so I believe they're the Northwest Catholic Lions now. Okay. At least they're not like the the guardians or something yeah no we went uh, we went still pretty fearsome mascot so <laughs> decent mock up there bonus points for that green and white is great that's what uh, my high school was collins hill we went with the full 
Philadelphia Eagles uniform. We were committed to that, had the Eagle wings on the helmet and everything. It was awesome. Um, we weren't that great when I was there. Eventually, Collins Hill won a state championship years and years after I left. Um, Travis Hunter had a lot to do with that, but that, that <laughs> yeah. green and white, man, there's something about it in high school. I think it's a, a pretty sweet color combo. I always thought we had, we had strong color combinations there getting to like the green and white was great. Loved it. Our helmets were like base green or whatever. We didn't really have an alternate, but that last year we got, so we became, I think it was my senior year. We became very, at that time, one of the few Under Armour schools in the country at that point. They were still oh, kind of getting their high school footprint. And so we had the Under Armour jerseys. And as part of that, they got us black jerseys. And so we wore them for the very first game of the season. It was a night game against New London. So they were from downstate. We had lost to them in the state playoffs my sophomore year. And so I know this would have been, yeah, this would have been the start of my junior year, actually. So we were going into my junior year, got the black jerseys. We're playing in a rematch against the team that beat us in state last year. First game of the season, banger at home. And we come out with the all black jerseys, which include like all black Under Armour socks. And so we're going through the game and it's week one. You know, it's not the South, but Connecticut in August is, you know, August and September, pretty humid, pretty hot. We got people cramping left and right. <laughs> all over the place. At one point, I look out on defense, and it's all the kids that were on our JV team, and then my one buddy who was also a captain at the other DN spot, and we're looking around wondering where our teammates had all gone, and everyone was like cramping or had gotten hurt. And so from there on out, our coach banned us from wearing the high socks in the games because he thought that there was some sort of like chemical that had been on them or something <laughs> that was making us more prone to cramping. And so from there on out, we were lows for the rest of the season, all because we had changed jerseys. And like most coaches that are superstitious, if it goes well and you win, you'll wear those jerseys all the time. If it goes poorly, you'll never see them again. And it went bad for us. We lost that first game in a close one and never saw those socks again. Yeah, that, that is the most high school coach thing. <laughs> well, we got poison socks. What is this? Get them out of here. Toss them out. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And at that point, we're high school kids. We're like, yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe this yeah. is the case. I mean, it was it, it was it, that high school level of paranoia for coaches that always think the coach from the rival schools out in the parking lot spying on practice and all that good stuff. <sighs> it happens, man. Yeah. You can't have two tall trees around there or, or anything like that. Tall grasses, people hide out. Uh, if it wasn't New London, who was your main rival? Uh, Berlin High School was our main rival. So hey, you got were, all the European towns you're competing against. It's unbelievable. I mean, shout out to the old Northwest Conference. They So the, we play in a different conference now, but back then it was the Northwest Conference. Berlin was a little bit bigger school and – that you know predated me. I walked in. I was told they were our rival, and so I grew to hate them. It was very easy because their colors were red, and so together we made a weird Christmas combination, <laughs> but somehow that was supposed to be animosity, and it, it, it worked, and it was also the source of like the funniest high school story I have by far, which was going into like junior or senior year. That was our main rival. Everybody knew it. It was like the big game circle on the calendar every year. It was them and then East Catholic, who was, you know, Another Catholic school in the area, obviously Highlander rules, there can only be one. And mm -hmm. so we had to eliminate them too. But um, when we were getting ready to play Berlin, so this was early in the season, a couple of my buddies on the team thought it'd be a really fun idea to take a Berlin high school football bumper sticker and put it on the back of our head coach's car. And it was right in the back of the school, right by our weight room. So they went out there and put it out there. 
and they waited and nothing ever happened. And we kept going on and nothing ever happened. Coach never made any mention of it. So we're like, all right, like, I guess he didn't notice or I guess he didn't care, like whatever. It gets to Berlin week and still nothing happens all week. Doesn't notice all week. We keep on going. And finally we get to pregame in the locker room right before we're getting ready to go out there. And our coach walks in to the, to the locker room and all of a sudden he pulls out the bumper sticker and he goes, look what they did to my car. We are going to win and throws it on the floor and starts stomping on it. And we're all getting excited with him, but also trying not to laugh, realizing the long con that he pulled off a prank that two of our you know guys in my class had pulled on him. So incredible motivation tactics by coach Tyler there, even if the source was a little bit murky. Dude, you never mess with a high school coach's truck. That is yeah. like sacred turf right there. You don't touch that. Is that is that what they were planning to do? Were they trying to like uh, manufacture some bulletin board material there? No, I, I think they just thought it'd be funny. Like you know, we were <laughs> jackass high school kids, so they thought to do some you know jackass high school kid thing. Because our co- our coaches all the time. I haven't proven this yet, but as far as bulletin board material, they do the thing where they would tape lo- you know articles in our lockers all the time about stuff. And looking back now as someone who works in media, a lot of these headlines were really suspect. And it made me wonder if they had just been in the back hammering out fake articles to put up on our locker, knowing we were, you know, 14 to 17 and 18 year olds who weren't actually going to read a newspaper even in like 2005. So I have my suspicions, but they were always frequently putting up the bulletin board material for us. Yeah, yeah, just getting the school paper crew to print something out and make it look like that y'all were getting disrespected in the papers. I think Kirby Smart actually does that too. Um, Mike, when I say high school, who's the first coach or, or teacher, anybody on the staff around your program that comes to mind for you? And, and what kind of impact did they have on you? Whether it's a funny story like that or something that kind of still sticks with you today as part of your athletic career and, and made you who you are. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I'll go. Trevon Coleman was a guy who came on kind of in the middle of my high school career, but so high school, you know, we played both ways. So I played defensive tackle and defensive end early on and was playing offensive line on the other side. And I, I knew college wise, I wanted to play offensive line. That was kind of just always what I naturally gravitated to. It's the position I thought I was better at. But Coach Coleman coming over was our D line coach. And it was really for me like one of those things where he just had such a professional approach to it. I thought he's a really good coach. He treated us fairly. He explained the why of stuff to us, but he also would be the disciplinarian at times. And so I remember we used to have this thing um, called, I think it was junior investiture was the name of it, but essentially it was like, you know, we were Catholic school. So you went up there, you got this blessed cross necklace and you were supposed to have as a sophomore, a junior above you that you trusted that you liked, you got to pick out your person that would be as part of that process. Essentially you becoming an upperclassman in the school and all the things that went with that. And you were supposed to go up there and you would do this, like crossing across the stage with everybody. And usually people would have like a handshake or they'd do something. And we had a couple of guys on our team that decided to do like leapfrog or something that the school really didn't like when they got up there. 
And for whatever reason, our coaches saw that as the green light to go and get the punishments going. And one of our older <laughs> DNs had been in on the prank with them. And so we got out there and Coach Coleman was acting like he was cool with all this. And he had the shield and he was lining up like he was getting ready for us to fire off and, you know, throw hands in the bag and get ready to shed it, whatever drill we were doing. And then all of a sudden, when that particular player got up, that coach became a brick wall. And he was a big guy. I mean, big, muscle-bound dude, looked the part of a DN coach. And every time that guy tried to fire off, he just kept getting knocked back further and further. And all of a sudden, you heard him start chirping him about, oh, you think it's real funny to leapfrog across the stage and all this stuff. <laughs> and for whatever, it just stuck with me because very rarely did he actually flex on us like that until that one time, all because someone decided leapfrog across the high school stage was how they wanted to get down. Yeah, it's time to get the punishments going is a hell of a statement, but it's something I think oh. anyone who played high school sports can relate to. The well, the worst punishment for me, and this just jarred it loose now that you said it like that too, I felt like I got done dirty so bad. So I was a freshman who was – I was long snapping for the varsity team, like moonlighting with that. I played freshman in JV, didn't start varsity as a freshman – and so when I started practicing with them, it was late in the season. They wanted to start to get me reps up there with that group. I went up there right after we had gotten done with our freshman practice. Unbeknownst to me, the varsity team had been caught messing around in study hall that day. They were you know, doing whatever we all did, got in trouble, and the coach was making them do up-downs. I get over there. I had done a full practice. They got going after us. I get over there, and they're getting ready to do up-downs. And I look at the head coach. I was like, hey, Coach, do I got to jump in or should I come back after? He goes, no, you're up here with the team. Get in there. And so I did 120 <laughs> up-downs after one practice going into the other practice for mistakes I had not made in study hall, which to me stands out as, again, one of the most high school things humanly possible, up-downs in general, but somebody else's up-downs, the worst kind. You never ask permission. You just just don't do it. Yep. I didn't play football until my freshman year, and I messed up the very literal first drill I ever tried to do uh, with the linebackers. It was a sign that I should not have been there. And our coach says, Blanket Ship, do some uh, grass drills. And I didn't know what grass drills were. I was like, do I need to <laughs> cut the grass? Do I need to get a, a weed eater? What is it? And I just kind of moseyed to the back of the line and still to this day have not done those grass drills. So I apologize, Coach Stevens. I owe you some. <laughs> um, which sports did you play uh, if you played any other than football? And which numbers did you wear in high school? So uh, in high school for football, I wore 52. I didn't end up getting to wear that in college because my buddy Braxton Cave had, like me, grown up a Jeff Fain fan at Notre Dame who wore uh, 52 in the early 2000s. And so he was the hometown kid. He got to it first. He knew the right people around there. So <laughs> I rocked 52 in high school. I actually ended up wearing my one of my best friends in high school, Brendan Jasper, was my right guard. And I ended up playing right guard. So I wore 57 like he did when I got to college. So shout out to Brendan on that one. Held it down for him. But um, I wore 52 there. And I think I also wore 52. So I played um, high school lacrosse my freshman and sophomore year uh, when I was there. I, I'd grown up in the Northeast. I'd started playing in the fifth grade because I found out I was really bad at travel baseball. I made the all-star circuit 
for my like local area team where we would go travel around and play other towns, I had a zero batting average for the all-star <laughs> circuit. So in fifth grade, they said, hey, you're a Husky kid who's kind of aggressive. We'll give you a six-foot-long metal pole, and you can hit people with it in the offseason. I said, game on. So we'll, we'll do that. I played that for a couple years in high school. Believe I also wore 52 for that one there. Ended up stopping just because there's so much running that comes with lacrosse, and I had to work on gain and weight for football. So I was like, I need all the calories and weightlifting I can get in the offseason. So we got to wave goodbye for a while. People are much easier to hit than baseballs. Oh my God, without question. It and that's the thing, like my whole MO, whether I played when I was hot I played hockey when I was a little kid, oddly enough, when I lived in Arizona, and I spent the whole time in the penalty boxes, I was never gonna be as skilled with the stick as any of those other players. And all I had was being bigger. So I just went and tried to waylay everybody. And lacrosse is no different. Can confirm it is real easy to find bodies in lacrosse. It is real hard to find that fastball, even when it's coming at you in fifth grade pitch. It was a real odd bag in Georgia of the people that decided to play lacrosse because this was in 2006 2007 it was really coming on strong is actually my uh my girlfriend at the time her dad uh went to West Point and he was really gung-ho about it his son played it and got you know helped get the program started but we were like what is this sport what are what are we doing down here and it was it ended up being a lot of the like the smaller guys ironically that did it because it was either football or baseball or, or basketball. And if you didn't really fit into that, but you were fast and you could sling that ball, then you ended up playing lacrosse. But there was almost like a like a xenophobic reaction. Like, is this a Canadian game? What are we playing down here? We saw them kind of use the practice fields after us, um, after football. So it's kind of weird, but it's, it's crazy to see how it's taken off everywhere. I mean, I think everybody is doing it now. It's crazy, man. And, and you're right. Like, it's definitely like the cradle of lacrosse. You know, it's obviously, you know, it's a Native American game in its origin, right. but certainly extremely. That's the popular. ironic part about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I would say go, go figure on that. But yeah, it, it, uh, it was super popular in the Northeast when I was coming up. But you're right. It's cool to see it now to see guys now when you watch, you know, final four weekend in college and you see players from Texas or San Diego and all these hotbeds that normally would be football. And it's reflected in the size of these dudes. Like they got some hosses playing lacrosse now. Yeah. I always tell people you can be football levels of physical, but there's also a ton of creativity. It was, it's by far my second favorite sport outside of football. Like I I'm sad. I didn't get to actually play it for longer. I ended up rooming with a lacrosse player when I got to Notre Dame and spend a ton of time around that team. And I always said, if I could, you know, have walked on somewhere and just gone and hung out with those guys at practice and gotten a few more hits in, it would have been a ton of fun. Yeah, just to keep you loose, keep you in football form. Got a couple more for you. I'll let you go, man. What was the best moment in your high school career? The best moment in my high school career... I, you know, ironically, the one I remember the most and like the most fondly was the most like pain we were also in. So there's two. One was we used to in the preseason go to this place called Camp Fuller. I believe it was in Rhode Island. And it was, you know, build to us a team bonding experience. We were going to go, we would stay at this campground and we would be there for like four, like, I think it was like four or five days at the beginning of preseason. Really, it was just a way for them to get outside of the Connecticut border so they didn't have to, you know, abide by the rules and they could practice us a lot more, which they did. 
But it was awesome because it was all your closest friends in high school. You know, you're playing with your best friends anyway at that level. And we're bunking up. We're away from everything else. It's kind of that training camp vibe you get in college where it's just all of you guys around. And so the time you're not spent practicing, you know, you're over at the dining hall and you're eating together. You, you do a little bit of everything. And so those kind of memories then led to, I remember, so my last high school football game, we played a state playoff game against Ansonia where, um, you know, they had some good players. Alex Thomas, who I think left at that point the all-time rushing leader in the state of Connecticut, played at Yale. Eric Curasia was an offensive lineman who was going to play at UConn and State there. They had some good dudes in general. That's like one of the better football towns in Connecticut, at least when I was there. And we ended up losing that game. We got, we got rocked pretty good in that one uh, after the opening stanza. And Again, played both ways. I mean, we were beat to hell after this game. Me and like my three best friends on the team had been, you know, starters, captains, and, and, and just left it all out there. And on the bus ride back, you're obviously all bummed out, but it's also like the end of any season where you realize it's never going to be this same team again. And for us, it was never going to be high school football again. And I just remember you're obviously, you know, there's there's tears there also, but on the bus ride back, we just immediately defaulted back to, you know, talking about all the fun stuff, talking about all the great memories, enjoying one last bus ride with all our teammates. And I just remember being so sore and being so exhausted, but laughing so much in the spot that was obviously after a huge disappointment for us because we thought we had a chance to win state that year. All the things that everybody has, the hopes and dreams, but it it was that moment again, kind of going back to our guys all in the bunker, enjoying one last ride on the yellow school bus going back to our school. Those bus rides really do, and not to downplay serious military battles, but at times it does feel like like that barracks feel. It feels like these really are your guys, and you're you're going to the only war that you know of at the time. Again, I'm not downplaying the serious aspects of the people who really do that and, and lay it all on the line for our country, but at that time in your life, it is a very special bond that that feels like, hey, Uh, This is do or die for us, and we're all on this bus together. And there's really something special about that uh, other than the locker room. When you're going out on the road to represent your team, it it is really special. And and you do a lot of stupid stuff on there, too. We got got away with a lot more than we probably should have. I think that's where I had my first uh, dip was on our bus. And I, I think I was about as green as the fake leather on our seats by the time we got off, man. There is uh, a whoever was sneaking that. Just, I was probably one of the kickers, if I had to guess, because they no one paid attention to the kickers anyway. Um, yeah, no, it's always it's always the kickers leaking that stuff in there, and it's always I don't know how you guys were too, especially going to the game, and maybe that's why that bus ride home was so fun, or the bus rides to Camp Fuller were better because going to games we were supposed to be dead silent. Right. Like you heard people messing around and it got shished down there. But when we were going up to Camp Fuller, it'd be Vanessa Carlton, Thousand Miles, group <laughs> sing along on the back of the bus. Like it was, it, you could cut it loose then. But like you said, once you got locked in for the game, you better be damn quiet or else everybody was going to hear about it. We had a uh, bus ride to one of our freshman games, and that was the rule, and everybody knew it. But one of our star linebackers had his headphones on. And it wasn't like noise-canceling headphones. I don't think those existed yet unless you just like taped them down onto your ears. But he was listening to um, Outcast, And our, one of our coaches, he's a, a younger guy, newer guy, really trying to prove himself and be the disciplinarian. I think he had just graduated from college. So he was trying to be the hard-nosed dude and earn his stripes as a coach that could yell at everybody. Well, 
he told us to be quiet a couple times, and we were quiet. And then this linebacker out of nowhere just breaks the dead silence and starts singing "Sorry, Miss Jackson" and just hits the chorus ah! at the highest note that he possibly can. <laughs> and we actually had to end up running sprints after our game at the other team's field. So that was that was ridiculous. <laughs> that's that's when you really know you've struck the nerve there. But again, hey, if you can hit those notes too, you can't hide that talent. You got to let everybody hear it. We never forgave him for that. Is there a moment that you would um, like you would you would change if you could? I know that as the years kind of go by, you do have more fond memories about even the things that didn't go right, like what you were describing on the bus. But there is anything? Is there anything that you kind of wish? Like, man, I wish that would have gone better. Well, I mean, as far as like regrets accomplishment wise for us, my junior year is the one like everybody's got the high school memory. The, you know, if this had happened, this would have been different. It was my junior year. We were, I think we had one loss. We lost that game I talked about to New London at the beginning of the season. We ran the table on the rest of the year. We had a quarterback who ended up going on to be a catcher at Fairfield. So had a great arm, great team. We had, you know, I was I was on that team who was going to end up, you know, going and playing at Notre Dame. A uh, buddy of mine who was the D end opposite me had D one offers. My brother was our tight end who ended up coming to Notre Dame too. So we had some dudes, we had a roster full of like veteran older guys and we were really good. And we were like, if we had made the state playoffs that year, there was no doubt in our mind, we were going to win the damn thing. We had everything. And the way Connecticut's high school, um, high school state uh, tournament works it's a point system to get in there and from each class like this is again connecticut high school football is jv at best overall and the playoff system is the worst part of it in each division like we mentioned only four teams make the playoffs so it's a semifinal and a championship that's it and you make it based on a point system and we were in in the point system until it got found out that one of the teams that we had beat saint paul early in the season, it was like game two or game three, had been using a player that was academically ineligible. And so they got all of their wins taken away, which meant our win against them didn't count for the points, which meant that while we dropped out of that four-team playoff and missed the postseason, we were, I think, nine and one or 10 and one that year and didn't make the playoffs and didn't get to go and actually, like that was the, that was the best high school team I played on. Our senior year team was good, but my junior year team was by far the best one that we played on. And we got jobbed because some team used a player that had failed all his classes and couldn't play. They like, they kamikazed everybody. They're like, we're going to go down and take everybody else down with us. And that's what ticked me off the most. They weren't even good. Like, they weren't good. That player was not going to make a difference. We steamrolled them, and yet somehow, you're right, they were the tanker. They were the missile in the side of our tanker, and they took <laughs> us down with them. It was brutal. Last one, back to the, the pregame playlist. Give me a few songs from your pregame tunes. What were you listening to to get pumped up when you were playing high school ball? Oh, man. I, it's so funny because, and I'm pulling up the playlist now. I have like a, I have a playlist that I use when I go to work out that is basically all of the same, like high school, like alt metal and new metal songs. Like I grew up, like the first concert I ever went to was Lincoln Park, Corn, like stuff. that whole new metal scene was really popular then. But the one that always sticks out, where it, where is she? Where is she? Um, okay, here I because I always mess up the artist's name. When Worlds Collide by Power Man Five Thousand might to me be the single most like it's time for high school football song that there is. 
it's just a big, loud, banging chorus. You just, you know, guys beating the hell out of their locker and stuff like that. That was always the one. Oh God! As I just started, as I just started playing it, I don't want to get us in trouble with music rights on this show. But uh, it's oh, I was gonna, I was gonna hit them up and see if they wanted the exposure. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go check that out before I, you know, do a workout or try to put my three year old to bed. <laughs> yeah, you can fight God with that song playing in the background. I have firmly believe that. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I appreciate you supporting Coffee Town and all the stupid videos I make and. Uh, for all the fun we have talking about this stuff. There you go. Hell yeah, One of brother. our first orders. Thank you for supporting <laughs> the brand, man. Where can uh, people find more Mike Golick Jr.? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm at Mike Golick Jr. on all social media. Also, uh, you can see in the background here, uh, the Gojo Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, part of the DraftKings Network, so you can also check us out and watch us uh, on the DraftKings YouTube as well as DraftKingsNetwork.com. We're Monday through Friday, five days a week, trying to uh, go out here and have some fun talking sports, me and my dad and my uh, my producer, my buddy Brandon, was one of my college football teammates with me too. So it's uh, a fun time, and uh, hopefully people check it out. Triple threat. Yeah, when, uh, when I covered high school sports in Macon, Georgia, and Atlanta on my local sportscaster journey, there was actually a, a website that would handicap the high school matchups of the week. So... Maybe you could get into that with DraftKings. I'm not sure. <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Oh, you'll be my first call once I start diving <laughs> into it. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you soon, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, uh, great stuff from Mike Golick Jr. there. Love hearing the warm-up tunes. Some great stuff. You got a good high school football warm-up playlist? Send it to us. Because Golik Jr.'s there was hardcore, son. So I want to end the show. Won't always do this. But I want to end the show on a little bit of an uplifting note. I've seen some headlines, seen some stories about high school football being played and coached the way that it was not intended to be coached and played. Watched the BS High documentary. um, And that was just so sad to me. And... Uh, coach in Georgia here got arrested for for punching a player during a game. Um, I I find a lot of these stories for the show, and I, I Google. I just Google high school football. First one to two pages are a lot of stories that suck. I mean, they make me sad. I don't like them. And high school football, you know, really should make a lot of people happy. That's why I'm doing this show. You know, it's all the high school football stories you love, not all the high school football stories that make you want to curl up in a ball and call your mom. Maybe the show makes you want to do that anyway. But I want to end the show with some examples of coaches that uh, and communities that are doing it the right way. So this is uh, out of Kansas. Junction City head football coach Randall Zimmerman, KSNT, has the story. Again, can't share the video, but uh, I'll have a link to it in the show. And he just had a, a wealth of great football wisdom, high school sports knowledge, beautiful stuff from this man. Been coaching for 30 years, okay? And he's got a long statement to this reporter that he's talking to on the field. But uh, here's what he says at the end. We need to get this thing, talking about high school sports, in perspective and stop letting this get out of hand for our kids because our kids deserve it. Not just our kids in our community, but our kids in every community. We need to do everything we can 
to draw more in. He talks about high school sports being a, an arm of what high school and education and character building were supposed to be, all those cliches. But when I see headlines that are terrible, I just have to remind myself sometimes that this is fun and this is good. It's good for us. It's good for our country. It's good for our communities and towns. It's good for individuals. And the other community story that was just amazing to me was out of North Carolina, Hope Mills, the community town uh, here at the town. Southview High School is their high school. And Southview opened their season with a 47-22 win. 48 hours later, their locker room caught on fire. Their facility, everything, gone. Locker room, gone. Coaches' offices, jerseys, equipment, all gone. And you can read about this on WRAL. Um, terrible, right? And they speak to the coach, Rodney Brewington, and he says, you start wondering, will you even play for the season, let alone this Friday? Well, that was a question that was very short-lived for Southview and for Coach Brewington because alumni from the school, people from all over the country, in the town, they send equipment to the team. They get them outfitted. They get their uniforms on. They get all their stuff, and they go out their next game, and they win 32 to nothing. How cool is that? You think you've lost it all, and even getting out there on the field is a win. But there's no moral victories for Southview, man. They're going out there, and they're kicking ass no matter what. So I love that story, and uh, motivated me. A lot of the stuff that I want to talk about on this show is funny, lighthearted, comical stuff. Um, but that filled my heart, man. Filled my heart. Hope it fills yours too. Go Fight Win drops every Thursday on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Hit like and subscribe. Leave me a comment. Leave me a review. What can I be doing better? What do you love? Thank you for supporting it. First episode was amazing. Y'all loved it. Got some great feedback from it. However, you're supporting the show is fantastic. Support the brand. GoCoffeeTown.com. Team store. Hats, shirts, y'all been digging that over the past couple weeks as well since we started this thing. Um, I really do appreciate it. Don't have this show without you and all the stories y'all are sharing, so keep them coming. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 